0: Especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hi,
1: everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business, putting the business back into the lady business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have another exciting guest. I mean, every day our guests are super exciting. Um, But you're going to get to hear about and from Natalie Molina Nino. She is the Managing Director of Known Holdings, Inc. Hi,
0: how are you? Welcome. Hi. I know it's not that big of a deal, but I still feel like I want to congratulate you for getting my name. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs)
1: I know I have butchered a few so far. So, you know, I'm always proud of myself too. Um, How are you today?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I was, uh, I was just mentioning to you uh, earlier, but I think it bears repeating that you're catching me on a day where my batteries have been recharged. So it's a good time. I think most of us have come through this Crazy last couple of years where um, everybody has kind of hit at some point or another right a wall. Um, And I definitely hit my wall a few weeks ago. Um, And I listened to to my body and I took a little bit of time off. Um, I'm lucky to have business partners and a team to support me. And I just took off. I went back home to South America and I just came back. And so I'm feeling good.
1: Good. And that's great. So you're clear headed. You know what your focus is. Mm -hmm. You know what your priorities are. Something everybody needs to do, make time for it no matter what. So I love that we're starting off on some like amazing tips already on like how you can clear your head no matter what time, no matter when it is, et cetera. So let's go back into what drove you there. (laughs) (laughs) The work that you do, um, what is known holdings? We'll start there and then we can get in the background of what, you know, how you got there.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, in many ways known is the culmination of of a life's work, right? It's probably most recently prompted though, by what I think has prompted a lot of people into action, right? Both the the pandemic and then what we saw happening post the murder of George Floyd was a whole lot of, you know, I think well-intentioned and in, in other cases, I think a little dubious about people's intentions, but a whole lot of playing around the edges, right? A whole lot of people throwing money at a problem that has really deep, deep roots, certainly in the United States, in the very fabric of how society is built, right? And I always kind of look at the root of what the issues are. And for me, when I look at the problems that infect every part of our society, I end up coming right back to the money, right? Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it turns out when you sniff down to the root of a lot of the issues, whether it's healthcare, whether it's you know the political injustices that we see every day it boils down gender to gender disparity where is the economic injustice that ultimately set up the structures right from the gender pay gap to the racial disparities to redlining to so many other things um it really does in my view often boil down to the money and so What I found post George Floyd's murder was that there were a lot of solutions that were kind of playing around the edges, but no one was looking at solutions that were really going to go to the root of the issue and create, for example, a real competitor that was black or brown owned that would take Chase out of business Mm -hmm. or really compete with Vanguard or really compete with BlackRock right? People are happy to have a little fund here or a little nonprofit that gets a few million dollars there. Like they're totally happy to give play money around the edges, but nobody's trying to take Larry Fink out of business. Nobody's trying to take Jamie Dimon and give him a true competitor. Nobody's trying to take the true giants that run the economy and give them a BIPOC owned competitor to give them a real run for their money. Right. By the way, any of the law
1: firms, you know, Scadden Arps, you know, uh um, or the big
0: media companies, big or media the healthcare companies. companies, or the yeah. big insurance companies. Exactly. So all of the titans of industry, the, the real, I would say, infrastructure of the economy that is ultimately run by, let's be honest, a handful of massive corporations, right? No one's trying to create the real competitors. They keep giving black and brown owned businesses just enough to get to that small to mid size. And then that's enough. So they right? can
1: control it. Right. Right. Can see, like there's no competition. Yeah.
0: Because there isn't a pipeline issue across all categories in finance. There are black and brown owned banks, wealth management firms, funds, every category of finance. There are black and brown owned everything. It's just that they're all subscale. They're all small. Mm-hmm. And so the bottom line is we created known a couple of years ago and we launched in November. So it's been a, a work In progress for a a long time but we launched just a few months ago where what we've been done is the thesis is that every large entity in finance has spun out of some sort of a mothership all of them when you look at every large entity they came out of somebody that incubated them and they spun off of either they are a subsidiary of a mothership in some formal way right they they spun off of blackstone the way that blackrock did right or in some sort of formal structured way Or it was a more informal way where it was a mentorship, right? Somebody wrote a check to somebody, somebody in some quiet way, had somebody's back, right? Took care of them, wrote them checks, made introductions and did all of the things that a good mentor and a good sponsor does, right? But regardless, they were incubated by somebody. Whereas when you look at black and brown owned anything, they're the first, they're the only, they're in a silo, they're a pioneer, they're by themselves in an island, right? Mm -hmm. They're not spinning off of any mothership. And so what essentially known is, is it's a mothership. We've created a platform that is a shared services platform that takes legal, compliance, bookkeeping, fundraising, business development, all of the things that especially financial companies, whether they be financial services, whether they be fund managers, banks, all of the different categories around finance, all of the things that they tend to need support with in order to grow and scale and become those huge titans of industry, we take care of that so that those business owners can focus on what they do really well. And we consider ourselves kind of a pit crew, right? Mm -hmm. We're the pit crew that sits there quietly getting the tough stuff done so that the race car can get across the finish line.
1: Right. Amazing. And so how do people become part of this platform? What happens?
0: We tend to work with people that we are either invested in. And so we work with companies that we either bring in by virtue of having invested in, or we joint venture with them. And the reason for that is you can imagine, we can't put our sort of services out there for anybody to access because what we want to do is we want to pick winners. I mean, that's the thing about race cars, right? We want to pick who the winners are. We want to pick who we work with. Um, We want to be sure that we are working with partners who are mission aligned. We Mm want to be sure that we're working with people who understand what we're trying to accomplish in the world. Right. It's for us. It isn't simply about picking people that are, BIPOC-owned, even though that is a really clear criteria for us, we want people who understand that we have a bigger vision, which is not just about making a handful of people very wealthy. We're looking at the macro vision of the United States, for starters, and we're looking at the wealth gap, right? We're looking at the fact that Black families have one-twelfth wealth of the average white family. And if you want to build a business that is going to close that gap at a macro level nationally, And if that's your vision, more than simply becoming a millionaire or a billionaire, if you understand that our goal is to close that gap over the course of not just the next decade, but over the course of the next 100, 200 years, that that's the mission, then you're a great partner for us. If you're in it simply to make a quick buck, then you may not be the partner for us. So we either invest in or partner with companies. And once we do that, then our services are available to you.
1: So how do you find the people that you invest in? what, you know, where those companies come from?
0: Pretty easy, actually. Um, I was just on the phone with Goldman yesterday, for example, I'm on the board of their Black and Latinx cohort, right, where they've spent the last couple of years selecting amazing Black and Latinx led companies, incubating them, helping them grow, investing in them. That's a pool that I draw from, right? Yeah. Um, I've been in the ecosystem. My business partners have been in the ecosystem for years between my two business partners. Um, they have probably invested, um, LP, right. So limited partner checks into fund managers of color in the United States over the last number of years, between the two of them, they're probably the most prolific check writers and investors in black and brown led funds in the United States. So we have a pipeline and we personally know probably the majority of the Financial leaders that happen to be BIPOC in this country. So we have an amazing pipeline just between us. I mean, keep in mind that the coalition is large, uh, the coalition is diverse, but the four key sort of ringleaders here are an African-American legend in finance, um, who is a mentee of John Rogers, who is a trustee at Morehouse, who used to be at um, MacArthur and run their endowment. The other one is uh, Valerie uh, Redhorse. That's Jim Castleberry I was mentioning. Valerie Redhorse, who is the first Native American to run an investment bank in the United States. Mm -hmm. And then we have um, Ushir Shah, who used to run tech for Rockefeller. This is this weird unicorn guy who both is a tech founder, but also he's an engineer, but also he knows a ton about finance. Um, We've got this strange combination of weirdos who happen to know about finance and tech, and who also happen to be people of color who have been doing this their whole lives. So it's not really a case of us going out and looking for the pipeline. We kind of are the pipeline.
1: Right. Are there specific segments that you would invest in or join
0: venture with? Yeah, we're starting with a focus on wealth management fund managers, and then we all are paying very close attention to incubators and accelerators. And when I say fund managers, I mean fund managers across almost all categories. What people don't realize is that even though venture capital takes up a ton of oxygen and people think that venture capital is because they watch you know, things like Shark Tank and you know, Silicon Valley seems to take all the oxygen, the truth is, is that venture capital takes up about 0.05% of all business financing. It's a teeny tiny That's niche. Tiny. Industry. I didn't know
1: that. Yeah. See. And so I learn something every time.
0: Yeah. And so you know, venture capital is generally speaking, across the board. When you look on average of all venture capital funds, a majority of them don't return their investors any money. And so if I had an industry that the majority of the time wasn't successful, I would spend a lot of time on marketing and PR too. <laughs> yeah. But the fact is, is um, they make a lot of noise. They don't represent the majority of business financing. And so when we look at the overall spectrum of fund managers, yes, venture capital is a part of what we look at, look at but it's, it's a small part of what we look at. So we look at real estate, we look at debt, we definitely will look across all categories of fund managers. Um, incubators and accelerators are really interesting to us because we know that you can't simply throw money at a problem. We know that founders need to live in an ecosystem where yes, you write them checks. Yes. You give them money. but You also got to give them support. I mean, Jennifer, you know, this, yeah? right. You, you yeah. got to have, live in an ecosystem where you give wraparound services to people, you coach them, you give them legal, you give them, you know, all the sort of advice and mentorship, you know, in the, in the dead of night that keeps founders up right? Worrying about how they're going to make payroll at the end of the month. It's more than simply giving them money. Um, and incubators and accelerators, the good ones anyway, they do that. And so that's, a, that's another key part of what we pay attention to. So to start with, those are the three categories that we're paying attention to. It's fund managers, it's wealth managers, and it's incubators and accelerators. We'll grow into other categories, but right now those are the three things that we pay most attention to.
1: Um, and you guys just launched not long ago, right? Like a year or so? What is it? November. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, it was just this last November. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so obviously like this is slowly going. I mean, how many companies have you partnered with, invested
0: in, JV? We're at less than a dozen at the moment. And in May, June timeframe, we'll be announcing a number of others, including a number of larger institutional companies that we're also partnering with who love what we're doing and who kind of want to be a part of what we're doing as well. And that'll give us, Uh, a lot more dry powder to be able to even expand what we're doing. Um, The fact is, is there just aren't very many people who understand the model that we're building. Right. Right. And there are people who have tried and who are struggling. Um, Look, if you look at some of the largest financial institutions, right, they're losing their communities of color. They're losing their vice presidents and presidents um, who are people of color. You're seeing it uh, at Goldman. You're seeing it at BlackRock. They launched interesting initiatives with lots of zeros behind them. And then the people who are running those initiatives have left, right? It's a testament, I think, to the lack of real integration, right? Where you can launch an initiative, you can put out a great press release, but if your own team members know that you don't have true believers within the organization that can actually deliver on the mission, you know, these things aren't going to last. And there's a question mark even within your own teams about whether you can deliver. That's not a question with us. And so I think what's going to happen is you're going to see more and more of these large institutions backing us and saying, all right, you guys deliver, right? And I think that's what's going to keep happening.
1: So if I am a business, so it doesn't have to be a founder with a, that's a person of color. It can't. It just has to be mission aligned.
0: Our investors come from everywhere yeah Yeah, our investors are families who for Mm -hmm. example just want to put their money where it matters yeah Um, our wealth management companies have clients from all over the place foundations Um, we even have universities who are saying you know what we want to be sure that our endowments are invested in ways that matter can you manage our endowment i mean so people who want us and our platform and our partners to manage you know, again, their endowment, their personal wealth, you know, they come from all over. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, the door is open to anybody who simply wants their money where people with a conscience and people who care about where their money, you know, sleeps at night. Um, yeah. You know, if you care about where your money is managed and how it's managed, then this is probably a place to think about putting it.
1: Right. So the, um, I mean, we've never, we've had this conversation on this podcast before in particular. Like we've never had, you know, capitalism gets such a bad rap, but we've never had capitalism where it's control, like the money and wealth and is controlled by everybody, not just the people who are initially. You know, who drew up the constitution and and the constitution protected, right? Which is
0: nobody on this, you know, podcast right now. And so it'd be you well, know, it's so- presented as a meritocracy, right? It's yeah. presented as as long yeah. as you follow the rules. Yeah. And the rules have never been fair, the rules have never been actually followed. Yeah. There's always been loopholes, and the loopholes have always favored a select few, and the select few's, you know, few always looked like the founding fathers, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this idea of a meritocracy is a mythology that's never actually you know, existed in real life.
1: Yeah. And so what is the goal of known in five years?
0: The goal in five years is to have close to trillions under management mm-hmm. so that what we can legitimately say is that we have taken trillions of dollars which by the way, today, I should probably preface this as a background piece. Today, the entire world's money, even though 70% of the world is people of color, Mm -hmm. the entire world's money is managed by less than 2% people of color, right? So I would say within five years, I want that 2% number, hopefully with the help of known, to have increased exponentially. Mm -hmm. I want to have redirected the world's capital, so that people of color are closer and closer to controlling what is proportionally fair. We represent 70% of the world. We should be controlling at least 70% of the world's money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. I don't think we can get there within five years, but within yeah. five years, we better be getting closer to that. Right. Right.
1: Amazing. So how did you get here? What, what was your background to get you in this place?
0: <laughs> you know, very circuitous. Very circuitous. And actually, Jennifer, I took a little detour into your world and into the entertainment world. Um, I am an engineer. I'm an engineer who had a career in tech and the career in tech was specifically around global tech. So my businesses were about taking tech businesses international. So I helped, for example, people like Microsoft take their products and make them work in German, French, Italian, Hebrew, Arabic, et cetera, right? We eventually worked with people like Bing and Google. Uh, The reason that the early days of Google, for example, the reason that you could Google things in German, Italian, Hebrew, Arabic, et cetera, is because my companies helped create those algorithms in those languages. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the early days of building those algorithms in all these different languages. And then we got into gaming and we started to build games for people like Disney and electronic arts and Nintendo and all these other folks. And so games are are really complex, right? Because think about it when you buy a computer um, and say you're a French speaker and there's something on the computer that isn't translated perfectly you're not going to take that computer and throw it out the window, right? right? Like you spent a lot of money on that computer. The French piece isn't perfectly translated. It's not the end of the world. And you've spent a lot of money on that, right? Yeah. But yeah. If you spend $10, $15 to go see a Disney movie and you've taken your you know, six year old by the hand and you've walked into the theater, now you've only spent $10 or $15 on this movie, but something about that movie is translated it appropriately, you will possibly take that same kid by the hand and walk out of the theater, right? right? Even though you've spent less and the investment is lower, there's something about entertainment products that is so emotionally connected to your culture, to your life, to your family, that even though the investment is lower, it feels like a larger investment. There's more emotional connection. And so it was interesting in my business, right? To to go into entertainment and think about like how important translation and globalization was for people in the entertainment world. It was the stakes, the stakes felt higher. Right. And so anyway, I went into the world of entertainment, globalization, tech as well through gaming. I learned a ton and that was kind of at the tail end of my career. And I I retired from tech in 2011. I decided to take a sabbatical, take a few years off. Um, I went into teaching. I co-founded the center for women entrepreneurs at Columbia inside of Barnard, the women's college uh, moved to New York, uh, which is kind of, it's my happy place. Um, after a stressful 15 year career in tech, nobody understands this, but New York is where I come to relax. Yeah. Um, New York is where everybody runs at my pace and my speed. So I don't feel like I have to push as hard. And I spent a few years teaching and I, I published a book about women entrepreneurs for women entrepreneurs. And I just spent a few years kind of paying it forward. Um, I experienced a lot of good luck. And I worked really hard. And I think that I wanted to kind of have the next generation, maybe have it a little bit easier than I had it. And so I spent a few years paying it forward. And then in the process of doing that, I came to the conclusions mm-hmm. that you and I just talked about, where I realized that the root of a lot of the problems that I was seeing, that I even that I experienced, were really in finance. Yeah. And so in 2016, I decided I would get into investing, uh, really, because no amount of Books that I could write or trainings that I could give or teaching that I could do in any college environment could solve the really simple problem that women just weren't getting the capital. And that was at the end of the day, what I determined was the root cause of a lot of the issues that I was seeing. Um, and, you know, a 40 year old woman that has massive amounts of both education and skill and talent who isn't getting the same kind of capital that a 19 year old at Stanford, a guy, is getting, right? Education is not the solution there, clearly.
1: No, Um, no. It's a lot about network, too. It's a lot about, you know, it's a lot about opportunity within, like, your own community a little bit, you know? And and that's, that's why it's been so hard for so many people to break through these barriers, you know? Um, because like recognizes like, and they just keep giving each other business, you know, and whenever I hear a man go, God, I've never really thought about like, I hire whoever's best. And I was like, cause you've never had, like, you've had the luxury of not having to think about it. You don't know what it's like. So yeah, no, I totally understand. And, um, and so you started investing and that was like on, on a personal level too. Right.
0: Well, what I did is I've always been investing as an angel investor, basically, since I started in tech. Um, So on a personal basis, I had invested in little companies. Um, Most of my companies were based out of Seattle. And so I bumped up against all sorts of little tech companies and even just local uh, small businesses that I bumped into in the Seattle area. But then what was happening was in 2016, I was able to partner with a group, start basically my first investment company. And I got lucky. Look, one of my first investments was a company that you're very familiar with, um, was a company that approached me shortly after I launched my first investment company. Uh, Washington Post covered the story of the launch of my company at the time I had been advising the Obama White House, and they were kind enough to let me launch my my first investment company on the South Lawn. Um, I don't know if you remember, but in October, the last quarter of Obama's White House, they decided to do a partnership with South by Southwest, and they did this event called South by South Lawn. Do you remember? Yes, I do, I do. Yeah, and so you know, like any event, they want you to launch things and do things that are newsworthy. And they knew that I was about to launch my new investment company. And what was interesting about that was I was holding out. I was like, my investment company is a gender lens investment company. And so I plan on launching it in January or February in the White House of the first woman president.
1: Yeah,
0: That was my plan, Mm, right?
1: Yeah, it was all of our plans, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah. And, you know, they, they were like, yeah, but we're having this event in October. It's called Talk by South Lawn. You know, you may as well do it here. And it's not like they were telling me, you know, Hillary wasn't going to win, but it was more like bird in hand. Like you have an opportunity to launch right now. Why don't you do it right now? Yeah. And I was like, you know, okay, I will. And I, I got a little help from Kimberly Bryant, the founder of you know, Black Girls Code, and also at the time, um, the CTO of the United States, you know Megan Smith, and a number of other people who gave me an assist and who all attended the launch of my company. And it was great. Um, and so in October of 2016, I launched my first investment company. And then when the Washington Post wrote a piece profiling the launch of my company, this little company that I had never heard of, that was trying to take for the first time in history, the birth control pill over the counter heard about me, wrote me, and basically pitched me their business. Um, right. And you know, the rest is history. And you know, people like you, a number of other folks, all got involved over the course of the next number of years. And so, that's one of the examples of the sort of company that that I started investing in as a part of that company, and then later as a personal investment. Because even after that company ended up, um, I ended up basically turning that company into single purpose vehicle. So that company really exists only for the birth control pill at this point. And now I'm focusing entirely on known, which has a far broader scope, but I'm not letting go of that birth control pill. As you know, um, I continue to invest in it personally. I continue to allow my friends to join me in that investment. I'm not letting go of that investment anytime soon until we succeed at finally getting that birth control pill company in every store in the United States. I mean, women talk about it a little more
1: like what, like talk about what it is, what, you know, anything that you can like hurdles, et cetera. And why, you know, and why we should have birth control in actual over the counter as an over the counter drug.
0: Well, first of all, we do. Um, that's one thing that most people don't realize is that in most countries in the world, the birth control pill is available over the counter. You can buy it like Snickers bar at any store. You can buy it just about anywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, the U S is one of very few nations around the world where it's not, Mm -hmm. it's medically unnecessary to require a prescription. Um, most doctors around the world and most doctors within the United States agree the American college of, um, gynecology agree. And they've been saying this for years. They've been out and proud and they keep announcing it, um, There are consensus groups all around the United States that have been saying for years that there's just no medical reason to require a prescription. At this point, it clearly is not about the medical consensus. It's just about pharmaceuticals. Um, The pharmaceuticals make a lot of money requiring a prescription. And so it's really just the will of the pharmaceuticals to apply to ask the FDA to allow them to switch it to over-the-counter. The same way that, for example, I'm thinking of like the allergy medicines, right? That used yeah. to be only by prescription, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? And then Claritin was the first one to go and say, hey, can we take this product over-the-counter? Um, the FDA approved it to go over-the-counter and then the sea change happened And after Claritin, a lot of the others followed, right? This is the same thing, right? Eventually, once the first one goes over-the-counter, then hopefully the others will follow. For a while, you're gonna continue to have many birth control pills available still by prescription. And then you're going to have hopefully some available, you know, over the counter. So in the beginning, you will simply have both. That's the one thing that is really important for people to know is that by taking the birth control pill that, for example, we're trying to take over the counter, we're not taking away options. People who take birth control pills currently by prescription, people who are used to getting it that way, who have healthcare, coverage and who are used to either getting it for free because their health insurance covers all of it, or they have a teeny tiny copay because they have great health insurance, nothing is going to change for them. They can continue to get their birth control pill the way that they always have. But for the millions of women who do not have it, either because they are underinsured or not insured at all, or because their insurance doesn't cover it because they have the misfortune of working at a place like, for example, a Catholic hospital that has decided that they don't want to offer birth control pills right. to their employers, which our Supreme court has decided is a legal thing for them to do. Yeah. Um, they have health insurance, but it doesn't cover the birth control pill, right? Those people who simply do not have access to coverage, they will now be able to go when we're successful at taking it over the counter to just the local store. And we hope if we're successful, they'll be able to just buy it on Amazon. And if we're really successful, we hope that they can go to the bathroom and buy it in a vending machine the same way no. that you buy tampons in a lot of bathrooms. Our yes. hope is that it's going to be so easy to buy birth control pills that it will literally be like buying it in vending machines or on Amazon.
1: Yeah, as it should be. I mean, allergy pills, that's, you know, it's a great, um, yeah, it's a great parallel for that. And so where are we in this
0: fight? Well,
1: the company has been working.
0: It is, it is a fight. It shouldn't be a fight. There's no reason be for it to be no. a fight. Uh, the process was going fairly smoothly. It started in like 2015. It was pretty bureaucratic. It was just, you know, a process with the FDA where you have to prove to them that the package and the label is safe because, you know, you can imagine the package and the box and the label and the instructions used to be for doctors to prescribe it and yeah. now the package and the label has to be repurposed for consumers to sit on a shelf, right? And yeah. so you don't have to retest the drug. The drug has been in the market for since 1960. You don't have to test the actual drug itself because this is the most popular and the most ubiquitous drug on the planet. And so the yes. drug doesn't have to be tested. It's really just about the packaging and the labeling. And so that process has been going on for years and it was going smoothly. And then for some reason over the last year, something happened and the FDA um, has been, really dragging its feet and slowing the process down. And so just in the last few weeks, um, members of Congress, over 50 members of Congress have signed a letter putting pressure on the FDA saying, what's going on? Why is this taking so long? Especially right now, especially as women's reproductive rights are being attacked, especially as we may lose... Roe v. Wade, especially as we may lose the right, you know, the federal right to abortion in the United States, like more than ever, we need to make all of these, you know, especially, right, reproductive uh, medicines, reproductive health care of all kind accessible and as accessible and as affordable as possible to Anybody of reproductive age in the United States, and let's also keep in mind that women use things like the birth control pill for reasons other than reproductive reasons, for other than contraceptive reasons. Women who are suffering of endometriosis, yeah, um, women that use it for reasons like acne, women for use it for, simply for um, painful periods. Women use the birth control pill for a lot of reasons other than simply contraception. Yeah, and so what these members of Congress did recently is they wrote a letter. Simply put in pressure. And the thing that is important to keep in mind is the FDA work for Congress. So, yes. my hope is that that letter puts a little fire under them to realize that this is important, it's urgent, yeah. and they need to not delay. This right. is something that has to get done, and it has to get done now.
1: They certainly didn't for the opioids, right? So, what's the problem now? <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, the, it's the irony of of you know the time when our reproductive rights are on trial yet again. You know, and this is 2022, and they're not pushing for you know access to birth control. Okay. It's the irony. I mean, we could go on as it's my ridiculous. friend Rebecca and I always say, "You just you just can't make this up."
0: No, like, you can't
1: you can't make it up. But what,
0: what what I love about the story is once we get through this, and yeah. we will get through this, is that it isn't Pfizer. It isn't Bayer. It isn't these huge companies that are doing this. It took a little startup out of Oakland. It took a couple of doctors who were fed up with the situation. And then it took a bunch of misfits like you, like me, like just a bunch of basically malcontents who were like enough. Right. And we all pooled our money and we said, let's, do this. Let's figure out a way to circumvent the system. And so I love that it basically took a bunch of people pooling, you know, our dollars and cents coming together and saying, let's start a little entrepreneurial startup and let's figure out a way to quietly circumvent Big Pharma and get this done, you know, get yeah. this thing done that nobody else has been able to get done. And so right. when we get through this, and when hopefully members of Congress and others finally Push the FDA to do the right thing. We're going to end up getting this in the hands of millions and millions of women, especially, and this is the most important thing for me: black and brown women who are disproportionately impacted by the absence of this in the market. Yes, right. Um, because we're not just putting it in the market without a prescription; we're also making it affordable. Right. Yeah. That's who's going to benefit the most, and I, I can't wait. Like I, I have to tell you, like as busy as I am with known, which is now my primary focus, this personal project for me, which is ultimately what it is, is one of the most important things in my life. Right. Because if I get to, and I I say this all the time, if if I'm lucky enough to be an old woman and I look back and I think that one of the things that I got done in my life is I got to put the birth control pill or be a part right of getting to put the birth control pill in the hands of millions of women who wouldn't have had access to it. Yes. After waiting since 1960 to get it done. Cause that's how long it's crazy.
1: No, I'm so glad we covered this, like, you know, because it is, it's insane. It's actually insane that it has not happened. I mean, isn't it like, I think the quote that I heard from you from one of the doctors, you know, in the company was like, you can buy a cigarette over the counter, which is known, known to basically be harm deadly. And you can't get a birth control pill, which for... F- which for many people is the life-saving drug. Exactly. Life-saving. Exactly. Um, well, look, I can't keep you here forever. As you know, you need to go on and, and get all this amazing work done for, um, to make this world a better place. I do ask one question at the end of every podcast, and that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received?
0: So much. I know. <laughs> God, where do you even begin?
1: Yeah, the first one that comes to
0: mind is fine. The first one that comes to mind was someone who thought that I would be work. That it basically, it's so funny because it's almost like the contradiction to my book. My book is called Leapfrog, right? It's this idea that you could move up in your career too fast, too soon. Yeah, that was the advice mm-hmm. that. This amazing, huge opportunity that had, I said, landed on my lap, but obviously I had earned it. Yeah. That while it seemed like an amazing opportunity and like, I would be dumb to say no, that I should be careful because it's possible to jump too fast, too soon. And if I crash and burn, my career would never recover. That Mm. was the advice that I was given. Right. And of course I ignored it. Yeah. But it, And of course, I now know it came from a place of envy or jealousy or who knows what sort yeah. of toxic place it came from. But man, I mean, it was genuinely somebody that was telling me not to, not to leapfrog, right?
1: <laughs> not to take, aim. yeah. Um, okay, no, it's pretty bad. No, don't take something that you know that you can do. I mean, especially if you, you know enough to surround yourself with a way to, you know, empower yourself, you know what I mean? And make sure that you're, you're set up to succeed. Yeah.
0: And don't take a risk on yourself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Or don't take a moonshot. Like, I mean, how many men get the advice? Don't, it was basically don't, don't take a moonshot. Right. Well, all right, everyone do not
1: listen to that. Um, <laughs> but if people want to find you, your companies, what do they do?
0: Natalie and Natalie's with a T H.
1: And what about anything about the birth control pill? How do they look that up?
0: Yeah, super easy. Uh, The name of the company is Cadence. And, you know, we're taking the birth control pill over the counter, which is the acronym for that is OTC. And so the Uh, URL for that is cadenceotc.com.
1: Amazing. All right, everyone look out for all of these amazing companies and things that Natalie has been doing to make this world a better place. With Um, your help. <laughs> A Very small part. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. Let us know what else you want to hear about. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.